sermon text is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. This is God's holy word. Let's pay attention to it. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land. They came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was, and wherever he came. In villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Lord, we have just read your word. This is your holy inspired word. And, and through that, Lord, you reveal the gospel to us. Father, we ask you to open our eyes today to see the light of your word and also to see that to see the lord of our savior uh, who is so gracious and patient with us in the name of christ we pray amen so when reading the book of mark one of the focuses of mark is jesus is jesus mission life most of the stories in Mark begin with where Jesus is going. I don't think that the places where Jesus went are more special than other places. What Mark really wants us to see is Jesus', is Jesus mission in this world. He's like a sower who goes out to sow the word of God in all places, revealing the mystery of the kingdom of God by his preaching and miraculous deeds. Therefore, when Jesus travels from one place to another, it is an act of grace and mercy. Wherever Jesus went, he brought the word of God. He healed the, he healed the sick and freed the demon-possessed. All that Jesus did confirmed the message that the kingdom of God has already come. And, but sadly, most people 
did not understand nor perceive what Jesus had preached. And even the twelve disciples, who had a privilege of following Jesus to all places, hearing him preach for years, eyewitnessing and experiencing many miracles, did not understand either. Yet Jesus continued to show his grace and patience despite the bleak reality. Our past tonight is to show us such a Savior who is so gracious and patient to the people that he came to save. So our passage we just read is actually one event, but consists of two parts. The event itself is a mission trip. Jesus planned to go to the other side of the sea so that he could preach the gospel there and heal the sick if needed. This is what Jesus always do. And this is why I think traveling to other places, when we see that wording, when we see that description, it is an act of grace and mercy of Jesus. Now, let's see the first part of this mission trip. So this, the first part is an account of what happened to the disciples while they were on their way to their mission field. And the first part actually sounds very familiar. It reminds us immediately of the story, Jesus calmed a storm. I don't know if you have that feeling. These two stories share lots of similarities starting from the beginning to the very end, especially the storm event. You might think, so what is the big deal of all these similarities? I think the similarities invite us to read this story with the previous story in mind. We should also know that this was not the, uh, this was not the, the, the first time experience of the storm. Because of this, we might expect to see how the disciples will react differently this time. So our passage first begins with Jesus urging his disciples to get into the boat and then go before him to the other side of the sea. So it sets the, the, the tone for the whole story. It tells us that Jesus now planned to go to the other side. But the first impression of this verse, the first verse, is urgency which reveals the importance of the thing to Jesus. And what is that thing? Going to the other side of this, uh, going to the other side of this uh, of the sea. According to Mark, whenever Jesus makes his way to a place, it is always an act of grace and mercy. And Jesus is going to fill the land with the gospel message by going. And that going is always carried um, with urgency and importance. And here, two words immediately, and urging them tells us it's important. For Jesus, making the good news known to all people is an urgent thing and an important thing. Jesus' heart is with the lost, and his heart is for the lost. We cannot miss that part from the first verse. And that's the reason he came. And today, he continues to reach out to the lost through his church and all individuals. And brothers and sisters, 
If we have Christ, we should have a heart for the lost and, and see evangelism as an urgent and important thing to us. Although we know it is full of challenge, but let us remind it. Let, let us be reminded that it is the work of the, of the Holy Spirit through and through. We are God's instruments by which the gospel is offered. And we go because Christ went first. We did and we followed because Christ set an example to us. So what comes next is kind of interesting. So Jesus just urged his disciples to go to the other, to go to the other side. But he did not go together with them. But it's, um, and Jesus did not go together with, with his disciples, but he stayed behind to dismiss the crowd. I don't know why Jesus did not ask his disciples to stay and help him dismiss the crowd. If Jesus, you know, if Jesus was urgent about going to the other side, if going to the other side is very important, he should have used the fastest way to dismiss the crowd. That is, using all his 12 disciples to help him to the work of dismissing. But he didn't. So there is also a problem here. If the disciples went ahead first, they went by themselves. Then how could Jesus get to the other side? Even there was a boat for Jesus, and we don't know how much Jesus knew about rowing a boat. As a carpenter, <laughs> let's say if it is not a problem for Jesus to boat because he is God, but the disciples should have noticed that problem. How could Jesus go to the other side if we just go? So one plausible reason I found for why Jesus did what he did here is because he planned to pray after, after, he, after he was done with dismissing the crowd. As we have read, after Jesus uh, took, took leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. So prayer is another essential part of Jesus' mission and Jesus' ministry. Mark recorded the first prayer of Jesus in chapter 1, 35. And we see a pattern in Jesus' prayer life. Firstly, Jesus went by himself. He went alone. And secondly, he went to a quiet place at a very quiet hour, which means he was always very late in the, in the middle of night. Thirdly, the prayer comes before he goes to the next place. This is the pattern we have seen, uh, we have seen in chapter 1, verse 35. And the pattern can be perfectly applied in here. Jesus wants to pray without, interrup without, without interruption. And the time and place Jesus chose to pray was just too much for the disciples to handle, especially after a busy day like, like that day. So their being with Jesus would definitely 
shorten his prayer time and slow down the whole mission trip. So prayer, but prayer is so important for his next mission trip and his mess and, and his work. Jesus would rather sacrifice his own comfort for the prayer. So I think this is the reason why Jesus asked the disciples go first and he stay here. Yeah, because he stayed here that he could pray without being interrupted. That, so that he could prepare yeah, for the work that he is going to do. So, so that makes us see a fuller picture of Christ's work here. Jesus does all his work in a full dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, so sometimes we see, oh, Jesus is God. He doesn't need to pray. But the reality, the fact, is just opposite. And he shows us that depending on the power of the Holy Spirit is essential to his work. So this is such a good reminder to all of us. Prayer life is hard in this day. We are just too busy doing things, even too busy doing ministries. It is easy to shorten our prayer time for some good reasons. But in here, Jesus lets us see that his mission work is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his work depends on the, on the power of God. So when we see, so when we see here, so what we see here is that Jesus was preparing himself physically, the urgency of going, and also spiritually, the necessity of prayer for his following mission work. So up to this point, Mark gave us, you know, a brief introduction. Jesus seemed to give his whole attention and focus on those unreached people on the other side. Everything that Jesus was doing here now was what? Was toward to the people that he's going to visit. So, what about the disciples? It seemed that the disciples were out of the sight. They were some, somehow being forgotten. Now let's now Mark zoomed in to uh, to the place of, of of the disciples, and we read they encountered a strong wind. So the disciples were not doing well, and Jesus was was uh, was still there was was still on the mountain praying, and and well the disciples were struggling. In the uh, struggling in the strong wind, it may not be as terrifying as the storm we 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 saw in chapter four, but it was bad enough to paralyze the boat. The disciples felt pretty much desperate about the the situation because, as I mentioned, when we read this story, we should have the previous storm story in mind. Because in this story, this situation is kind of worse. Because they encountered a strong wind. Probably it was kind of a storm as well. But the Lord was not with them. The Lord was on the land. 
and they were on the sea. How could now? Uh, how could they now be saved? And how could Jesus now help them? So it was kind of an awkward situation for disciples. They did not expect Jesus to get to them because of the strong wind and the darkness. They might wish that Jesus were with them, and they might wish that they and they had stayed there waiting for Jesus, and they might have also complained why Jesus did not go with them in the in the, in the beginning. So these are just speculation. So, but what we know is that the disciples they lost heart, they lost hope, and they. Do not expect to see Jesus. Why I say that? Because what we see next, and we will we will know they do not expect to see Jesus showing up there, because there is a gap between them and Jesus. That is a sea, and there is uh, a difficulty between them. That is a wind and the storm, and also because they do not believe. That this Jesus could even do that, and because of because they do not believe the the, uh, the scripture tells us because they do not understand the miracle Jesus just performed that day, the miracle of the five uh two fish and five loaves of bread, and the feeding of five thousand, they did not understand that. So that's why when they were caught in that situation, they. Were desperate and they kind of giving up. So one thing for sure is that they did not expect expect Jesus to show up and deliver them this time. So when Jesus did show up and walk to them on the sea, that's why they were afraid, because they never thought that Jesus would come to them, and thinking that this Jesus was a ghost. Even when they came to the realization of what just happened, what I mean is, they saw ah, it was Jesus. They were still utterly astounded, because for them they could not get their head around. Is it true? What I just saw is true, and, and Jesus was standing. There, walking on the sea, and they realized that, and they were still in great doubt. It was just too much for them to believe, even having seen with their own eyes. They were utterly astounded by the scene of Jesus walking on the sea, by the by what just happened before their eyes. Our passage gives us the reason why they reacted like that. He says, for they did not understand about the loaves. What is what is that? It's the story of Jesus feeding five thousand men, and and that was a miracle which revealed Jesus as the Son of God, as as the Lord of uh, the Lord of provision, and they just saw that, and just they just experienced that. But they don't think this Jesus could be Christ, could be the Messiah. 
it's very so sometimes we yeah if you were I, I don't know how you would think of think of these disciples for me I was quite disappointed so how could yeah how could you not believe that it's so obvious you just saw that yeah but they, and but the Bible says they don't understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So, can you believe that this reaction is from these twelve disciples who have seen Jesus cast out demons, heal the sick, feel the five thousand, and calmed a storm? They have seen all of these great things while they were with Jesus. They had the privilege of seeing that, of seeing those things, you know, as eyewitnesses. But how can that be? But when we think deeper, when we reflect uh, upon that, and we will realize that, isn't it true with all of us? In terms of our knowledge of Jesus, we know much more than the 12 disciples at that moment. We have the full gospel. We have the complete revelation of God. And we have Jesus Christ died and, 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 and rise. And all of these things, the disciples did not know at that time. And we know that Jesus is the Son of God. And we know He is with us all the time. By his spirit and we know he can do all things and we know that authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and we know he loves us and died for our sin and we know that by his death we're no longer slaves to sin but children of god and we know by him we are secured in in, in god and no one can snatch us away from his hand however we sometimes react in unbelief as well. How could that be? For it is true with all of us because of our sinful nature, yeah, of our unworthiness. For, for instance, we're easy to stop praying for our unbelieving family members or friends because we doubt if more, whether more prayers for them will really make any difference. We have lots of worries and concerns about our future because we do not fully trust God's wisdom and His timing. Although we know that He, He's, uh, you know, He's in control and He, and everything is under His providence. Our hearts are often hardened, like the Pharaoh. We are, our hearts are often hardened, like the disciples. So the phrase, being hardened always refers to unbelief. So what we see is, even though Christ has shown himself so clearly before the disciples, and even we have seen Christ yeah, and known Christ uh, so clearly through the revelation uh, in the Bible, and we can be, our hearts could sometimes can be hardened by our sin and hardened in unbelief. So if it is surprising to see the unbelief in these 12 disciples, then it is even shocking and astounding that we who have the full gospel and the indwelling spirit 
reacts just like the disciples. Jesus should have given up on us and left us alone in the middle of the storm, in the middle of our sin. But he didn't. When what Jesus did to the disciples is what? He continues to show his grace and patience to them. How Jesus did to the 12 disciples is how he would do to us. But even more, what we, what we see next is Jesus saw them and knew their struggling and helplessness. Then what? He came to them walking on the sea, even when he was rejected as a ghost. He continued to comfort them by saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. So Jesus did something even greater to us in the gospel. So Jesus saw us as dead men in sin, struggling in sin without hope and life. Yet he was waiting to come down to us by becoming one of us, going through the miseries of this life, and was rejected by those he came to save and was finally crucified on the cross in our place. But out of his mouth, we heard his prayer for us. Father, forgive them. We know that the forgiveness is from Christ who offered himself as a sacrifice, reconciling us to God so that we can take heart, embrace God, and not be afraid. So this is what Christ has done, and this is what He is saying to us. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is the first part of the story. What we see is what? The unworthiness of sinners, and they receive the grace and patience of God. Now let's see the second part of this mission trip. And this part is basically telling us how this mission work went in this place called Gennesaret. Now, let's see the, the second part of this mission. We noticed immediately a difference between the intended place and the actual landing place. Jesus planned to go to Bethsaida, but in here, they landed at Gennesaret which is to the west of Bethsaida. There's no sure explanation why Jesus landed at a different place. Yeah. But one thing is for sure, it's not a mistake. The Bible doesn't make a mistake here. Yeah. It could be, it could be, some scholars, and they, they said, it could be the wind that night that blew, the, blew the, the, the boat off the course. It could also be that the wording to Bethsaida uh, in Greek is pros, means just in the direction of Bethsaida, which means it could be any of the cities as long as they are in that direction. So there, there could be lots of explanations for that. But anyway, Jesus made his way to this place. And it is the other side of the sea. 
And, and it was a new place to this point of Jesus' ministry. But to our surprise, is that the name of Jesus has been widely known in this place. When Jesus got out of the boat, he was immediately recognized by the people. How that happened? It is very likely that some people from this city have been to one of Jesus' gatherings. And they must have seen Jesus heal people. Some of them, I think, they may be one of the healed people. And, and they just came back and bringing back the healing testimonies of, of what this, uh, uh, testimonies of, of, of Jesus. I think those testimonies were probably the primary source, source of their knowledge of Jesus. And that's why we read in verse 55, saying, when people recognized Jesus, they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on the beds to, to wherever they heard he was. When reading that, there's something special about the sick people in this area. It seems that all of the people mentioned has one thing in common. They are all paralyzed. Uh, paraly paralyzed. They were brought to, they had to be brought to Jesus on their beds. Verse 55, we saw that. And then in the next verse, we read people laid the sick people in the marketplaces. These, the sick people mentioned, they are in common in that part. So these people were fully, so the, the, these people were fully dependent on others. And those who carry the sick, uh, carry the sick people to Jesus are important means by which they could meet Jesus and be healed. So here we do see that these people, they are needy, and we also see an important means which are their friends carry them, who carry them to Jesus. We can say, without this helping people, without the, the, the means of the people, the sick people would have missed the opportunity to be healed that day. So one of the lessons we, we, I think we, we should see here is the gospel. Yeah, we know that Christ himself is a, is a uh, uh, is, is a preacher of the good news but he do that he does that through the instruments of his people through the instruments of the church and through the instruments of all the ministers so we are important means by which Christ used to reach our people to let those hear the gospel and that's what we see here And also, these sick people, they believe their friends witness to Jesus. I believe that the news of Jesus was told probably in a very simple way. Uh, maybe they were mainly uh, testimonies of how Jesus healed people. 
Yeah. Because most of these people in this place, they have never seen Jesus and met Jesus. So it will be very it will be impossible for them to hear Jesus preach to them. But what they but how did they know Jesus? I think from the testimonies of the people. But interesting, even with these little testimonies, even those people have never seen Jesus and met Jesus before, and they have great faith. And what we see here is they have a great faith. When people brought them to Jesus and laid them in the marketplaces, they asked Jesus that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. So, this is what they said to Jesus. It is very likely that they have heard the story of the woman who had a discharge of blood and how she got healed by touching the cloak of Jesus. And the sick people believe that Jesus could do the same thing to them as well. They believe that there is no need for Jesus to pray over them or lay his hands on them in order to heal and this and, and their faith was from here was from the hearing of those little testimonies and our passage actually let, let, tells us and, and lets us see that they are actually following the patterns of those great events like people carry the people uh, they are carried to Jesus and it reminds us of the par- paralytic who was carried by his friends and also they asked Jesus to, to let to let them just touch their fringe. He was probably from the story of the woman. So they just heard of those stories and they believed. And they believe and they just, you know, since they do not know how to react, they just copied their deeds of faith. So our passage here actually is done. But what we see is there it implies a comparison here. We say this is one event but with two parts. And it implies a comparison. It is between the twelve disciples and the people of Gennesaret. It is natural for us to think that the twelve disciples are are examples of great faith. They are the ones Jesus sent out to preach. They're the ones to whom Jesus gave his authority to cast out demons. They're the ones to whom the mystery of God has been given. However, Jesus said to them, You of little faith. And in our story, Mark said that their hearts are hardened and they do not understand what Jesus did. And the phrase hardened actually, as I mentioned, refers to some sort of unbelief. Interestingly, the people of the Gennesaret, instead, they have much faith, and they have even bigger faith than the 12 disciples. And we know most of the people have never met Jesus, and they 
may have never they, they, they may never heard of Jesus preach. And they did not even see Jesus perform any miracles. And they knew Jesus primarily from other testimonies. And that's why we see they follow some patterns of the great events. Uh, they, they thought those are the deeds of faith, the practice of faith. So such as carrying carrying the, uh, the paralytic on his bed and the women, uh, the woman touching the fringe of the cloak. But the faith in Jesus was real and strong, and it was manifested in their deeds of faith. So what does this tell us? These two parts and gives us a stark and shocking contrast. I think it tells us first firstly is that God's grace and mercy is granted to people not based on people's worthiness. It is by grace alone that God came to them and delivered them. Not because the twelve disciples are special, they're better, that's why they had the privilege of being with Jesus and experiencing all those great things of Jesus. No, they are still unworthy as others. Yet, God has shown them His grace. Secondly, I think He also tells us that the good news of Christ is so powerful that even small testimonies could point people to Christ and brought and brought forth faith in people. And this this should encourage us. Some people I know, lots of us, we we think we do not know how to evangelize. We do not know how to tell people Jesus. Do you see here? Even small testimonies of what the Lord has done in your life will point them to Jesus and bring forth faith in them. God is the one who does work. God is the one who shows mercy and grace. And lastly, and not the least, I think it tells us this. No matter who you are, whether you are the 12 disciples or the unknown people of the Gennesaret, we are all called to trust in Jesus. We are all called to believe in Him. We are all called to have faith in Him. So it tells us, not because some, some people are pastor's kids and they have strong faith and they automatically believe in Christ and, and know Christ. And not because some people, you know, who are, uh, you know, who have no relationship, uh, no experience with church, and they will not have faith, and they will have hard time having faith. No, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is this: we are all called to to repent. We're all called to believe. We're all called to know this Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior. This is the same thing Jesus requires of us. And this is the thing uh, that Jesus 
has been doing to reveal to us. And because He is gracious and patient with us, and we will have some struggling and setbacks, take heart. He is gracious and patient, and He will save us to the end, no matter what. I think this is the message that we want, that God wants us to see tonight. And let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you so much. You're the Lord who shows us your grace and patience. And we have seen ourselves in the passage. We're so unworthy. We're we're so unworthy of your grace, of your mercy. And yet, you still have mercy on us. You still have grace uh, toward us. Because you are a gracious Lord and a patient Lord. And because of that, well, we have hope and we have uh, comfort. And Lord, please work in us your faith and bring us to uh, uh, bring us to a full trust in you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now let's respond uh, with the psalm.